You're listening to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. The Togetherings are recorded conversations with Alaskans from all walks of life, sharing their perspectives on big questions that touch us all. Each series shares a common theme that is explored across episodes. Hello and welcome to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. My name is Amanda Dale, and I'm here in the studio with Simonetta Mignano. Hi, Simonetta. Hi. Hi. The Togetherings are conversations presented in a series of three episodes, each one focusing on a different theme explored from Alaskan perspectives. This week's series is Intersectional Indigenous Identities, created in collaboration with Native Movement. And in today's episode, we're going to be looking at two spirit experiences. Okay, Simonetta, can you start us off by uh, sharing with folks about the organization Native Movement? Yes, uh, Native Movement is an organization dedicated to building people power, rooted in an indigenized worldview towards healthy, sustainable, and just communities for all. They support grassroots-led projects that dismantle oppressive systems for all and that endeavor to ensure so- social justice, indigenous people's rights, and the rights of Mother Earth. And I'd say before we start, uh, let's take a moment to acknowledge where we are on the traditional land of the Denaina people. We're really pleased to have with us two guests today who are going to help us open up this conversation before we then turn it over for listeners to be able to call in. So connected via Zoom today with us, we have Max Pyle and Vivian Mork. Max and Vivian, hi to both of you. Can you hear me okay? Sure, can. Thank you for having me. Yeah, can hear you good. Thank you for having us. Wonderful. Welcome to both of you. Um, Simonetta, could you tell us a bit more about our guests? Yes. Uh, Max Piles is from Uzinsi, Alaska, a small village of the Kolyak Island, and is a uh, um, Sumpiak or Alituk and is currently attending the Fort Lewis College majoring in political science and indigenous studies. Um, Vivian Mork is an ethnobotanist and a traditional food and medicine educator living in Juneau, Alaska and she has been working with traditional foods and medicines for most of her life. She's the co-owner of Planet Alaska Gallery which is a business that um, with the purpose of perpetuating culture and portion of the proceeds are used to create local classes for Alaskans. Vivian is a columnist for the uh, June Empire Capital uh, City Weekly, and uh, she shares a column with her mother, Vivian Faith Prescott. Her work has appeared on Inedible Alaska, Capital City Weekly, uh, June Empire, Yellow Medicine Review, and First Alaskan Magazines. Turning to Vivian and Max, Thanks again for being with us today. Um, In the show, today we're exploring two spirit experiences. And I'd love to start out by asking both of you, um, what is your connection to this topic? Maybe Vivian, could we start with you? I guess um, I'd like to start uh, just, you know, it's Native Heritage Month. And I would love to start with uh, just introducing myself in the Tlingit language. Chinese, Hawaiian, Sami, Irish. And for those of you who may not have heard the Tlingit language before, um, that translates to hello. Just kidding. Uh, (laughs) uh, Usually, uh, when we introduce ourselves in the Tlingit culture, we start with because it does uh, translate loosely to please forgive me if there's anything that I do uh, that offends you or if I do anything incorrectly. Uh, I think that's a good foundation of a start of most conversations, you know. And in the Tlingit language, my name is Yeik, or Cute Little Raven in English, Vivian Mork. I'm from the Raven Moiety, and uh, I am from the Tuktaintan clan, a child of the Tequedi or the Brown Bear people, and a grandchild of the Kaguantan or the Wolf people. And I was born and raised in Wrangell, 
and my village in Kawu uh, comes from the Huna area, but I live in Juneau now. And I come from an exceptionally large multicultural family. And, and sometimes I feel like a little bit of the walking history of Alaska. Um, and I am Chinese, Hawaiian, Sami, Irish. And I'm sure as I continue to explore my history and family as life goes on, I may find other cultural connections there. But I was raised here in southeast Alaska. And so I definitely uh, connect uh, very much so to my Tlingit culture that I was born and raised into and uh, and that is part of my connection and identity is uh, just rooted in who we are as indigenous people and who we have been here uh, since time immemorial. And it is interesting as a two-spirit person being on your own land in which for thousands of years there was a place for you and now experiencing colonization and having to carve that place out for us again. Um, it's difficult uh, at times. Uh, I was born here in Alaska in the 70s, so um, I've seen a lot of changes over the last few decades. Uh, so uh, that's a l little bit about, um, I guess, my connection. Simply, uh, I am Two-Spirit. Thank you for this starting point, Vivian. Thanks very much. Max, tell us a little about you. Yeah, so I grew up in Kodiak, Alaska. Um, I'm now living in Yuzinki, which is a village off of Kodiak Island. My connection with the term Two-Spirit is somewhat interesting because I wouldn't fully consider myself Two-Spirit just because I would want to be sure of that, using that term in like the right way. And I just feel like if I'm not as informed as I'd like to be. I wouldn't want to put that label on myself. Um, but with that being said, growing up, you know, as an indigenous person, um, being in the village and having family members going out fishing, living off the land, things like that, I would find myself not usually going, opting for like hunting or fishing. And usually I would stay inside with my aunts and my cousins who were all females. Um, and I would be doing things like baking, cooking, things that were traditionally like a woman's role. So I kind of always felt off thinking that I was just a gay indigenous person and I always felt like there was something more. And when I found the term two-spirit, that's when I felt like something that finally like matched what I believed is my experience. So doing research into two-spirit identities, and specifically in my culture, the Aleutic culture, um, I learned about how our ancestors, if they presented especially feminine traits or especially masculine traits, then the people would let them grow up as those, those identities. But for me, I think being two-spirit is more of having a balance of masculine and feminine energies. Vivian, when did you first um, meet this term two-spirit? Is it something you grew up with or, or that, you, that came to you later in life? What's your relationship with the term? You know, I think I feel similarly in, in some respects to what uh, Max had mentioned with that idea of the label. Um, Labels are interesting, and they sure have changed a lot over the years. And uh, I did not grow up uh, hearing the words two-spirit uh, as an identity. Uh, in fact, uh, I grew up very Catholic. <laughs> and uh, as an adult, I like to joke that I'm a recovering Catholic. <laughs> And um, growing up in a very conservative rural place means that uh, that was heavily impacted by colonization. It means that I had to unlearn ignorance in some ways. Uh, and, and I'm just telling the story for my own family, I guess, and my, my own community and my own experience, because I know that we have very diverse experiences as Two-Spirit or LGBTQ people uh, across Alaska. 
And so I'm only speaking from mine. Uh, but uh, when I was growing up, uh, it was not talked about that much. And when it, when uh, anything other than heteronorm relationships were talked about, there was a lot of hatred and disgust and uh Anyway, it was very difficult. And uh, I went to college at Fort Lewis College in 1994. Coming from rural Alaska, finally getting to meet a very, very diverse amount of people from all over the world and listening to diverse views. And uh, that definitely helped unlearn some of those ignorances. So um, I had to unlearn homophobia as a gay person. It's interesting, you know. so for me, I went through a variety of labels. Uh, when I first came out, it was first um, identifying as bisexual because it was safe. Uh, safer, I guess, uh, to say that in the mid-90s. And then uh, later on, I defined myself as a lesbian. And then uh, when I learned more, you know, when I learned about the history of sexuality or uh, the history of people who studied sexuality, like Alfred Kinsey and the scale of sexuality and how we slide upon that in life, all of a sudden that started to resonate with me more. And uh, eventually, I'd have to say in some ways, I prefer no labels. I prefer just to simply be called Vivian. Uh, That definitely defines me a lot more than a lot of the other labels that are out there. But I very much so uh, lean more towards the two-spirit label because of having a strong sense of self rooted in masculine and feminine um, characteristics. I wonder, uh, especially for those who are listening and they never heard the term two-spirit, if you could uh, speak to that, uh, if you could tell us about the genesis of uh, the meaning of the two-spirit experience, for those who never heard about it, uh, either one of you, uh, you know, if you you have any... uh, any insights on that? So, <laughs> I think it's kind of difficult to exactly define what two-spirit is because to a lot of different people in different places, it means completely different things. Um, just for me specifically, being two-spirit means having both masculine and feminine either features or energies. Um, Some people say that it's housing two or more spirits. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. Mm -hmm. This is, um, you know, the the tomb two-spirit has a history itself. So first there's the concept of being two-spirit, which is something that has existed since time immemorial. The actual term being used began in the mid-90s which is one of the reasons I didn't grow up with hearing the word two-spirit. And now there are people who have. Um, It it became popular in the mid-90s. And as Max said, it means different things to different people because the term is then applied culturally and we are, as Indigenous people across uh, this entire land, are very different from each other. You mentioned earlier, Vivian, um, about the connection, I think, between, um, you know, learned ignorance and homophobia and colonization. And I wonder if, um, although this is a leading question, if the two-spirit, um, you know, idea and and um, identity and, and label, if that feels connective to an era before colonization, if that feels connective to to the people and the culture that came before in a way? You know, in the mid-90s, there, you know, there's, there's certain waves that happen, I think, in civil rights movements, you know. And, and I feel very lucky to have been a part of the movement in the 90s when we were 
recarving out those places in society for us. And, you know, I remember when I first started going to college, the um, group on campus was called um, the Gay and Lesbian Association. And then as time went on, it was called the Gay and Lesbian Bisexual Association. And then it was called the Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual Alliance Association. <laughs> and then it was called the LGBTQA, uh, Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgendered Alliance. And so I just simply think that over time, uh, we get to meet people who may not be like us whatever that is, whatever choices we make, and then we grow. And so the words change um, based on our society, you know, and, and how we interact. I'm very, very thankful, you know, um, and I have a lot of friends who are transgendered, and I grew up not knowing any transgendered people. So that means when I first went to college and I met um, transgendered people for the first time I had a lot of ignorance and I'm very grateful for the transgendered friends that I have that were so patient with me asking so many questions and I was able to unlearn that ignorance through those questions but I think there's a lot of people we don't when when subjects or topics are outside of us because we aren't in that group um, we have to unlearn those things. You know, I watched in my own family um, people who were very homophobic and not accepting of gay people had to meet some gay people that they loved and watch what they went through in life in order to unlearn things themselves. And now those very same family members who had disowned me uh, when I was young are the same family members who will now walk in a pride parade. Sorry if I digressed a little, but not at all. I'm I'm imagining somewhat the process of I mean that's a 180 in in some really profound ways. And you mentioned, for example, the personal contact, right? Really getting to know people um, and seeing their struggle and and what they're going through, and um, it's it's just such a huge shift to imagine. What are you thinking while you're hearing this, Max? Does any of this resonate with you as well yeah i like a lot of what vivian is saying um i think my experience was a little bit different just because i grew up in the more accepting environment um yeah i was really lucky to grow up with accepting parents and a good family um and i did i was exposed to a lot of different kinds of people throughout my high school career because um our school really focused on being an accepting, including place. And then I'm actually also attending Fort Lewis College. And down here is where I learned more about indigenous identities, particularly. Um, before coming down here, I knew about the transgender identity, all of those things. And then coming down here, I learned a lot more about the two-spirit identity and other identities that indigenous people can hold on to. I wonder uh, if, and this is a question for both of you, I guess, uh, if you ever felt like you had to perform certain gender roles in your life or uh, if you ever f felt like you were pull pulled in a direction instead of another and what that experience looked like or felt like for you. Yeah, um... You know, growing up, like I said before, I grew up um, with family members that did fishing. And I found a lot of the times when I didn't want to do those things, I didn't want to go hunt a deer, I didn't want to go catch a salmon, that I felt like I wasn't living up to their expectations or I wasn't being manly enough to a certain point. Um, and... It was really difficult because, you know, you want to learn about your culture, you want to live a more traditional life, um, but then there's a lot of stigma because of what happened during colonization. Our ancestors before us, they didn't have 
issues with expressing their identities because that was the norm. But after colonization happened in a lot of Native communities, I know in mine, people tend to be less liberal in their in social aspects, um, which is kind of saddening because thinking about how in the past I would be like a normal person, but in nowadays there's issues that come along with my identity. Yes, absolutely. Gender roles, you know, it's a thing. The concept of gender roles has been changing since Australopithecus afarensis, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, for the most part, uh, what was true in any community 500 years ago is not the same 100 years ago, which is not the same today. And we're constantly redefining what those things are. And for me personally, and my connection to gender roles, when I was growing up as a child, and um, like a lot of Alaska Native people and families, you know, we do have obviously wonderful, good things in our families and good family members and good memories and things. But we also do have, we suffer some of the highest rates of social ills that you can name in every aspect from high school dropout to, you know, teen pregnancy to suicide to domestic violence and things. So it does mean that it was very prevalent in my life uh, growing up. My mom was 15 and my dad was 17 when they first found out they were pregnant with me which was a very difficult thing in the 70s, you know. And um, and that led to a lot of other variables, you know, that played into what those gender roles, because um, my parents were figuring out their gender roles as children mm-hmm. um, with very adult responsibilities. And sometimes that means some toxic things happened. And I... Uh, Grew up, grew up in a very large family, many, many aunts and uncles. And I would look around at me and see these roles and these stories being played out. And all I knew when I didn't have the words for everything it is that I have today is I didn't want that. I didn't want what was around me. And um, I, and I, <clears throat> you know, as a, when I was in elementary school, I always wondered, was very little, I'm five, six, seven years old, I wondered if there was a possibility that I could grow into becoming a boy because I didn't want the female roles that I saw around me. It was hard. It was very hard. And I remember my mother asking me when I was very young something about a boy. She was teasing me about some boy and said, well, you know, you might get married someday and you're, you're going to get married someday and have children. And I, and I said, no, I, I don't have to. And because we adopted my baby sister, I knew that I didn't actually have to go that route. And she said, well, you're going to have to marry a man so that you can have a family and be supported. And I said, oh, no, I'm going to be a lawyer. Um, I can support my own family. <laughs> And so, you know, at a very young age, before I could have deeper discussions on sexuality and roles and things like that, I was already kind of carving out some kind of otherness path in life. Um, So, uh, yeah, gender roles definitely played heavy. And the odds are, you know, I was a tomboy, definitely a tomboy. And I didn't really recognize it as such because um, all the girls I knew could go out fishing and go camping and go hiking, you know, it's Alaska. Mm. And so I had a lot of friends who could do those things. And, and we all loved playing together, you know, as kids. So uh, doing a lot of the same things. And so, uh, but I, I definitely gravitated to more tomboy activities, I guess. When you say Vivian, you said, I knew that I didn't want that. And you're, you know, experiencing this, um, kind of push back against what you're seeing as you're growing up. Is that process something that you talked about with, with anybody, with other people, or was that really an internal kind of reckoning that just happened within you? I think, you know, as children play, we always play with gender roles and those kinds of things, which, 
lead children to explore themselves, you know? So uh, I just don't think it was uh, consciously thought about and talked about in the same way today, of course, as, as when growing up. But yeah, abs- you know, when I got into high school and I started to learn how to have conversations about all of those things differently, the very first three people I ever came out to in high school said, really? Me too. Oh, wow. And so I think that was interesting, you know, because here we were not talking to each other about those things growing up, but we were gravitating towards each other. Mm. There was other things that made each other feel safe with each other, you know, to be able to come out to each other. Was there a relief in that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To finally know we weren't alone, you know, and I'm thankful that, you know, I hear Max saying, I didn't grow up the same way as you did you know and I think about all the people who came the generations before me and all society and all issues I think are never necessarily solved we get to blaze the path for those that come after us who keep blazing the path for those that come after them and I'm very grateful to you know, the people at Stonewall, mm. you know, who who uh, fought back, you know. Um, I'm very grateful for the Harvey Milks and the everybody, everybody who's gone before us to make a place for us in this world. Because if they had not have done the things that they have done, I would not have been able to be the person I was. And then because of the things that people like me did in Alaska, by simply coming out and meeting people and making people see you and talk to you and go, Oh, you're the same Vivian I grew up with, you Mm. know, um, that's the, the changes happen over time, small, small increments. And now they happen bigger and bigger, actually (laughs) quicker and quicker. Hi, Vivian and, and Max. My name is Indra Riaga. I'm here with KONR and with the Humanities Forum. And I just had a question, you know, as a um, a BIPOC person myself and as a queer myself, um, what are some of the differences that you've noticed between, you know, how your culture responds to your sexuality versus, you know, dominant culture? What are some of the similarities and, and uh, differences that you've experienced? So one thing I would want to say is the difference between main culture and accepting people in the LGBT community and Native communities. I think that Native people in general, this is just my opinion, (laughs) tend to be more accepting of things that they're not used to. And I think there are a lot of Native people in rural communities that have a hard time accepting LGBT people and other people. But overall, I think that our communities are built on like a foundation of love and acceptance and caring. And that really allows for there to be a more positive outcome when it comes to coming out or things such as that. I, I agree with Max on, on that. You know, there, there's still, every community has, of course, people who are more accepting and less accepting. But I do find Indigenous people and cultures are oftentimes a lot more accepting uh, than other cultures. Also, here in Alaska, where colonization is a recent thing. So we have a different, we have a different relationship with colonization just due to time period, I guess. Um, You know, if you start with the famous 1492 on the East Coast up here, we're hunting and fishing and hanging out with family. 1592, hunting and fishing and hanging out with family. 1692, hunting, fishing, hanging out with family. You know, and finally in the 1700s, you've got some people coming in. So we've only been a state since 1959. And I think that, you know, can play into things as a variable 
I've I, so I've been working with Clinket language and cultural revitalization and preservation for about twenty years now, which has immersed me greatly with elders all over Southeast Alaska and really all over Alaska uh, in different ways. And there are some times that I have had to walk away from situations because of the large amounts of homophobia in certain situations because we have been colonized. And sometimes uh, different uh, religions have different influences on that uh, based on, you know, and each village kind of has a different dominant um, religion or church in that community. And that's definitely played into things. And so uh, I am very, very lucky to have had some wonderful elders in my life who have made it a point to come to me and tell me that they love me and that there was always a place in our society for us um, before contact. You know, they make sure to take that time to reach out to do that. Uh, I have this elder, Ruth Demmert, who lives in Cake, and she just reached out to me just even the other day. Here's, I think she's 80 something anyway and she's facebooking and reaches out to me on facebook to make sure to tell me that you know she's accepting of me and and that she loves me and accepts all of us you know and i have another elder her name is marie olson and she's the wushkitan she's a clan leader here in Juneau. she's 98 years old she's still living on her own right now she's amazing I celebrated her birthday with her last year. We went tango dancing at her tango class of all things. <laughs> and, you know, one of the last things she did before this pandemic hit was I was visiting her and she, you know, she held her hands on either side of my cheeks to look at me and to tell me that she loved me. And she said, you know, you're special. And I just want you to know that if things were different today, if they were like they were a long time ago, you would be treated so well and so loved by everyone. And I want you to know I love you and that there's a place for you. And you keep doing what you do. You keep saying the things that you say because of what you say and what you do helps the people who are going to come after you. And anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to get all choked up about that. But uh, uh, those moments, those elders who take the time to do that, it saves lives. It can save lives. So if any of you are listening out there and you know that maybe someone is struggling in their community, with their sexuality, whether they're already out or ready, or if you know that they're in the closet, take the time to tell them that you love them and that they're accepted. It can literally save lives. Thank you so much for uh, sharing uh, this really powerful story, Vivian. It feels like really you're talking about loving kindness and compassion and uh, beautiful things, very profound human values. Um, and I guess both of you talked about uh, your experience growing up and how it was for you. And I wonder if you look forward, if you look at the future, what does um, an indigenous queer future look like for you? So when I think about an indigenous queer future, I think a lot about um, how I believe that currently there is some sort of indigenous renaissance going on currently. Um, we see a lot of younger native peoples getting involved in the culture, involved in cultural revitalization, language revitalization, things like that. So I th think and I hope for the future that we will be a lot more accepting to LGBT people that are indigenous because of our cultural values and because of how our ancestors would have lived their lives today. Vivian, what comes 
uh, what would you imagine uh, or dream for the indigenous future? Oh, that's such a big question. I think for me, I just want to finally just be. We want a place, you know, in our society to be able to live with no more fear. We just want to be. Every, you know, everyone just wants to be loved and accepted. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think about in the mid '90s when I came back to my island. I was one of the very first out gay people to ever live there. We had previously had some gay people living there who had to make choices to be in the closet in order to keep their employment in an at-will state um, for employment and things. It's very difficult. My partner was fired um, from her daycare job the moment they found out that she was my partner. I think it was 95. And, uh, and of course, there was no legal recourse for that. You know, we would have had to bend the trailblazers. And as people with not money, we, of course, could not afford that kind of lawsuit and undertaking and things. And we would walk down the street holding hands and we had people throw beer bottles out the back of the vehicle at us. And I know one of the times, one of those people in the back of the vehicle was my cousin, you know? One time, someone spray-painted Dyke on my front door in bright red paint, and they spelt it D-I-K-E. So I went and found some red paint that matched it and spelled it correctly and left it on my front door so that people had to see the hatred and had to see it. So they had to have dialogue and conversation about it. Um, I want those things to never happen to anyone ever again. You know, I want uh, a place where we are safe to just simply live and be and love and not have to live in fear of hatred and literally in fear of our lives sometimes. Do you think that um, being aware of who you are, where you come from, helped you in uh, being resilient? Um in responding to people's reaction and outlook on your own personal experience, on your own identity? You know, I just saw, and I, I'm not wanting to just revert to this right away, but I saw a Facebook meme the other day that was edited, uh, something along those concepts. Um, my trauma didn't make me resilient. I am resilient. Well, it's very, it's very powerful. And um, we're taking in a lot here and we're processing all the things you're saying. So we're not um, capable to immediately uh, react, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. And we'd love to hear, um, Max, from, from you with this question as well as... Is there, what is the connection for you between, as Simonetta mentioned, this grounding in your own identity and then being able to respond or, or take on things um, and, and show resilience in the face of pushback? So I just want to start off with saying that it is because of people like Vivian that we are able to be resilient. Um, because people like her, her story about the door, you know, it um, it just gives people empowerment and it just enables us to live our lives more freely. Um, when I hear stories like that, it makes me a lot more confident in myself and it makes me feel like I am able to do these crazy acts like Vivian and just, you know, not care as much about what people are trying to do to harm me and instead take that energy and move it towards fixing the issue. Vivian, that story, as Max said, is so striking. Looking back, what, I mean, can you point to, to some things in you that moved you to turn that I into a why? I mean, what what is it about you that just led you to respond in that way, do you think? I'm sure my mother would just say I was born that way. 
Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I guess I probably always had that personality. You know, I was the <laughs> three-year-old that, you know, the parents sitting there going, don't touch that, and I'm looking, you know, and going, mm, you know, uh, in some ways. Um, but, you know, I was also a respectful child, so there's that. Um, I just wanted to always learn what my boundaries were. Even though I had sometimes um, difficult relationships with different family members around me, I was lucky. You know, I don't I don't have a very good relationship with my father uh, at all, and uh, and my mother and I have grown. We've had some ups and downs and things in life, and have grown in amazing ways. But I did have parents that always told me, "You can be." whoever you want to be and you can do whatever you want to do uh, or you can do whatever you want to do, uh, which is interesting because when it came down to me making some of those choices uh, in life, they definitely argued against some of those choices and things that I was making, but they kind of drilled that into my head that, well, of course you can do it. And I think my resiliency came actually just more from simply being Alaskan and growing up Alaskan. And in a time period when I guess maybe insurance rules and caution and safety was a little bit different. I grew up when they're like, here, kids, get in the canoe, no jacket, no life jacket. You know? <laughs> um, they were like, yes, you can all go camping out here. No adults, no matter, you know, anyway. Um, so uh, we learned to be very independent at a very young age. So maybe um, having a childhood full of a lot of independence and also being the oldest, you know, my mom being and dad being so young, uh, simply being the oldest kid led me to be a little driven and stubborn and persistent and all of those things. So um, maybe that also made my experience very different than some of the other uh, people who identify as LGBTQ in my family. You know, um, there's something really powerful about what you're talking about. And I really, really liked what Max was saying that also really thank you thanks to people like Vivian that progress is made. And I think it's very powerful because I feel that there's an underlying sense of unity in that and connected it, connectedness in really like fostering uh, people in becoming fully who they are and feel free to be who they are. Um, and I wonder um, if you have any thoughts for a young person or person of any age that is now struggling with his own identity or, or her own identity or their own identity and um, what would you say uh, to them? Um, thinking about that, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, I would say a good piece of advice to any younger people, I'm still young, um, and younger people still going through the motions, I would say, try to live your life for yourself at some times. It's really easy to live your life for other people, to try to please them, you know, to make other people happy. But in the end, you really need to take care of yourself in order to take care of other people. So if you're not accepting of yourself, then it will be really difficult in life to be productive or to accept other people. I think the work has to start within yourself so that it can move outward. Max, uh, you mentioned, you know, you, you are a young person and, and kind of laughed as you started to answer the question and it made me wonder, is there anything that you wish you'd heard? The one thing I would say is just, I wish there were more people who identified in similar ways as me. Um, because growing up, you know, I grew up in the 2000s. I was born in 2002. Um, so I grew up knowing about people that were gay or indigenous people and all these types of things. But when it comes to the intersectionality of it, I never really knew that many gay indigenous people or two-spirited people. I didn't grow up learning that term. Um, so for me, I think that if there was more representation 
in the world, um, it would make me feel more comfortable with myself and it would make it easier for me to accept all of my identities. I think that's true for a lot of people too. When you hear stories like the ones Vivian has shared in this hour, um, is, is that something that you hear a lot of conversation about or does this feel like something you're hungry for more of? I mean, I hear it, but I'm never going to be full from hearing stories like that. Um, I think that I would like, I think it's important to know that we're all going through very different lives and we all have very different variables at play, the families we come from and all the different influences that we have and the geography and the cultures that we're living in. I think it's very important to learn to listen to yourself and to be honest with yourself. Your path is going to change. There's going to be things that you think are the way things are. And then things will change and they will become something else. On that path, you're going to find people that you are safe being around and being with. And search those people out definitely first. Um, give yourself a good network of love and support consciously. That's, I think, important because you are going to find that maybe um, some people choose not to be in your life anymore and it, it and it is hard when that happens maybe you are lucky and you never get to experience that and that is wonderful and I hope that that's what happens um but many of us do have a little bit of a hard path we got some pretty big families you know as indigenous people and Alaska native people um and we don't all get along about other things I guess so um <laughs> um I, I think it's important to search out the, the good people around you and your family and your community that you can be safer around. And occasionally your heart will get broken um, by not being accepted by some. Um, but honesty, honesty, honesty with yourself uh, will have le less self-conflict uh, inside. But also know that whatever you're going through is okay. The feelings that you're feeling are okay, the positive and the negative, whether it's shame or guilt or um, questioning things. It's a process. You don't have to stay in one emotion or feeling or, or one way of being. You get to change things over time with the choices that you make and the choices of people around you. Um, but definitely stay safe. It's, you know, it's a very different thing if you're the one gay person in a village of 200 people than if you are one gay person in a village of 250,000 people. <laughs> um, this, right. So it doesn't, you know, there's obviously more, more gay people. Right. So, uh, uh, you know, what's lovely about today is being ha able to have access to the internet and the world at large. So if you are in a community where you are feeling lonely, reach out, there is community out there and you can find people if you don't have people in your community to be able to talk with and to share with your struggles that you're having. And, um, and sometimes we're feeling very alone in our experiences if we're the only ones who are experiencing this, you know, but once you reach out, you're going to find out that other people have had experiences and we'll be able to give you tips and things on, on managing everything from family and emotions. And um, so stay true to yourself, stay honest with yourself and make sure that you reach out and find uh, the good people that can help support you uh, as you go on your path in life. We're coming up on the last few minutes of the program today. Um, and first we want to make sure to thank many people for this. Um, Indra and Aaron for their help from the station side, um, Native Movement for co-creating this series, and our wonderful guest, um, Max Piles and Vivian Mork. I, I want to thank you both for the, the grounding that you started this conversation off with and just your 
eloquence and honesty and speaking to deeply personal experiences and really diving into this this um, theme of two spirit experiences and and giving people a lot of information and things to really think about as we leave the program today. So a very deep appreciation to both of you. Thank you, Max, and thank you, Vivian, for joining us today. Simonetta. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much for having this conversation and uh, and making sure that more of our Indigenous Two-Spirit people that are out there know that they are not alone. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Max and Vivian, for being here with us. Uh, it was uh, really an honor uh, to have you here. Um, we have just about two minutes left, so I want to just make sure that if there's one last thought that is buzzing in your head, you have the time to uh, express it before we close. I just want to say that um, I think one of you asked the question to Vivian earlier about why you think you had the ability to change that I to a Y. And I just want to say that I think as Indigenous people, and especially Alaskan Native people, we have a really strong tie to humor. Um, and we are really good at delivering things in a humorous way, even if it needs to be serious. So I think that part of that is... Alaska Native. <laughs> you know, um, Alaska Native people are, uh, the Alaska area is the oldest still habitable, ha- habitated, I guess, cultural place in both Americas. It literally means Alaska Native people are some of the oldest people in the world to reside in one spot sustainably for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. We are older than the Roman Empire. We are older than the pyramids. So as indigenous two-spirit people, you are strong. 